read that in the book of Genesis, you'll see that the garden life was what God intended, and it was an amazing life uh, prior to prior to Adam's uh, fall to sin. And and we look at that, and we just get a glimpse of of what God intended for us that sin has robbed us of. Uh, the fellowship with the Lord, the perfect peace with one another, and everything that was going on there. But, it, you know, in Genesis chapter 3, Adam uh, Adam believed the lie that the devil was speaking to him. He acted upon that lie, and he sinned against God. And in sinning against God, the death or the door of death and hell was opened up. And basically, the armies of hell literally took full authority over God's people, over mankind at that point in time. The Bible talks about in Romans chapter 5 that Adam sinned and death came about because of sin and that we all sin because we are from Adam. And so in that, Satan took full authority that Adam basically handed over to him and hell took pro- or, or, or possession of what God intended and we became slaves of destruction. And I just want to kind of slow down this morning because I really want you to get this. Um, and at that time, at that time, a war began. At that time, God could have just walked away and said, you know what, you made your choice, die with it. And, and he would have been just in doing so. But if you read Genesis chapter three fifteen, God declared war because he made a promise in Genesis three fifteen that the seed of a woman would crush the head of the serpent. That seed that he's talking about was Jesus. And I, I'm so thankful that God chose to fight for us. He didn't have to. He chose to fight for us, and that's what we call redemption. God devised a plan. Even before it happened, God made a way so that he could buy back the slaves, redeem the slaves of destruction to make us the sons and daughters of God. And so, therefore, we live uh, in a day where that battlefront is raging. And, and it's not just, you know, used to we would focus a whole lot on, uh, you know, back in, especially back in the 80s and, and prior to that, you know, I believe America was a far greater country at that point in time. I believe that, that more people sought the Lord then, that that we uh, lived according to God's word way more than what we as a nation as a whole do today. And we would refer to Africa, you know, as the dark nation. And we, the church was sending missionaries all over to these third world countries because that seemed to be where, you know, the battle was raging. And when I talk about the battle, I'm talking about the objects of this warfare is not warring against the devil so you can try to be moral or so that you can try to do better. It's a, it's a war where the object is the souls of men. You understand, ultimately, ultimately, that's what we're battling over as God's people. You know, here in Timothy, it says he has enlisted you as a soldier. You are in that battle. If you're a child of God, you've been enlisted into this warfare, and you don't have any choice in it. You're either a slave or you're a soldier, okay? And so in that, the the battle is over the souls of men, and and Satan is trying to deceive and destroy is what he's doing. So ultimately, if you think about this, anyone who is lost, a lot of times, especially Christians, want to look at, at lost, sinful people, uh, people who don't know Jesus, people who who don't want anything to ju- do with Jesus. Sometimes we're not careful. We'll judge and and we'll put them in a category. But ultimately, what they are is they're deceived. No matter what the sin is, Satan is the one. He's a deceiver. He's deceived them. And and, and Jesus came to do what? To seek and save. Satan come to deceive and destroy. 
Jesus come to seek and save. And so that is basically what the battle is over, is over the souls of men. And ultimately, there's going to come a day when God is going to crush, as he promised in Genesis 3.15, he's going to totally crush out the kingdom of darkness, anyone and everyone who has a part of that, and that's going to be on the day of judgment. And here's the thing. Those deceived will face a judgment of everlasting fire. I'm going to pause and let that settle with you for a second. Every person, if you're here this morning, for whatever reason, you have never trusted in Christ. You've never repented of your sin according to the Scripture. Believing that Jesus died on the cross and that His death was was the punishment for your sin. You're not looking at church membership. You're not looking at your morality. You're not looking at your own righteousness. You're not trying to do good works to make your way. All you've got is to fall on your face in humility before God Himself and admit that you're a lost sinner. You have no hope apart from putting your faith and trust in Christ Jesus and that your life has been changed because that if and when you die, according to Scripture, not not a Bible-thumping preacher, but when you die, according to what God has clearly written, without Christ, you'll spend eternity in an everlasting, fiery hell. And I'm not trying to scare you. I'm trying to warn you. And you'll be one of those who are deceived. And you know what? You're the ones that we're, we're, we're warring for. Because more than anything, more than I want your marriage to be better, more than I want your life to be all cleaned up, what I want is for your soul to be saved. Because there's a lot of moral people who are going to die and be in hell. There's a lot of good old boys and good old gals that's going to end up in hell that thought they were good but never repented and turned to Jesus. There are going to be a lot of church members that's going to be in hell. And that's, you know, the more that, I, that, I, that I'm in ministry, the more I think I say it on a pretty regular basis. And she says to me, my wife, it's going to be a shock. going to be a shocker on the day of judgment. going to be a great shocker. I just want to say, if you're one of those people, and I know that we all fall, but if you're one of those people, like I said, that you, you, know, you come to church and your life looks very, very different from the Word of God. And by all means, I don't want you to prove nothing to me. I want you to prove to yourself. I want you to judge yourself. I can't judge you. And, and people don't like to be judged. But I'm going to say this. If you don't like to be judged by everybody else, judge yourself and see. The Bible says, judge yourself and see. Does what I claim to have match what the Bible says I will have? You know, one of the things me and Randy was talking about this week, I said, can y'all think of any example in the Bible of what modern Christianity paints Christians out to be? Because modern Christianity says, people come to church, they walk up front, they cry a little bit, they make a profession, they're baptized, and a week later they go right back into living in sin. I'm not talking about struggling with sin. I'm talking about just indulging in it, living in it. You know, this person who came out of this goes right back to that and stays in that. You know, and, and, you're, and we're constantly making excuses. For almost they're backslidden. You know, they've been backslidden 50 years. But I remember one time when they was a kid. I've been to so many funerals to where, I, to where I knew the person. That I'm not, that I'm not the one preaching. I knew the person. I'm like, there's an, I, I knew the person knew them well. And I can't judge, but I'm like, when you see a person who lives more like the world and more like the devil, and I didn't even know they ever knew Jesus and all of a sudden the preacher goes well back when they was 12 you know they made a profession of faith and so we know they're in heaven the rest of their life had nothing that exemplified this profession they lived on in sin they indulged in sin they loved darkness but on Sunday you know they showed up to church 
so we know they're in heaven. No, we don't. No, we do not. We do not know that. And all the preaching in the world ain't going to preach you into heaven. So I want, to, I want you to, to understand this, and I want God's people to understand that we're not just warring over cleaning up people's lives. I'm not, uh, you know, I want to help anybody and everybody in any situation that they're in. I don't care where you are if you're here today and you said I killed, killed nine people on the way to church and, and, and smoked whatever on the way there and, and, was, and was drinking a six-pack in the parking lot before I walked in, but truly I'm seeking truth. I'm here to help you. Okay. And I, I believe God can save you and, and, and give you life. I know that 100% sure. But, but, but here's what I'm at. I don't care nothing about you quitting drinking, quitting your doping, quitting running around, quitting all this stuff, coming to church and never knowing Jesus because you'll still die and go to hell. You understand that? So my point and purpose is not to have a rehab going on in the church and, and fixing marriages and fixing lives. My point and purpose is to introduce you to the life giver. Because you can get all cleaned up and, and, and you can go to hell in a white suit. You understand what I'm saying? So as God's people, our main focus is the gospel. Because the gospel is what saves. Y'all with me this morning? Okay. All right, a few more people with me. That's good. <clears throat> but here's the thing. With, with, uh, talking to God's people this morning, a lot of times what we want to do, uh, there's such a misconception in the church, we think that God saves us to give us the garden life. And what we do is we get so caught up and we, we want to try to, to build our, our, our Garden of Eden here on earth. Well, God saved me, so now I want to have, you know, the perfect, the whole point. Let me, let me clarify this. The whole point of God saving is me so that I can quit all this stuff that I've been doing, so that, that I can have this great little marriage, and God will bless my finances, and I can have just my, my circle of friends, and we can go to church and kumbaya together and all this little stuff, and we can have the garden life. And anything that interferes with the garden life, that's the devil. He's just attacking us because, you know, here we are in the garden. Thinking, God didn't, according to the Scripture, God, the truth is He enlisted me as a soldier. The world is a battlefield. It'll never be the garden again. Until it's wiped clean and burnt up. And God creates a new heaven and a new earth according to Scripture. So we ain't here to build the garden life. Yes, God gives me a tremendous, way better marriage. And God does bless you. And God provides. And all these different things. But here's the thing. Ultimately, I'm enlisted as a soldier. He didn't call me to build a fence and, and create a garden where, where everything's great in my life while, while hell is attacking everybody around me. He called me as a soldier to fight a good fight. And so in that, you can't ignore the battle and be avoided. And as far as our nation goes, like I was talking a while ago, that's where we're at today. We have so built the Garden of America and all the junk that American Christians chase after. We think that our lives wholly revolve around get a good education, get a good job, make a million bucks, quit working, fish every day, retire, kick back, and when you die, you go to heaven. The American dream. You know what it is? It's called the garden life. And Christians pursue it with all their heart. And then we go to church on Sunday and we live moral. But I wonder how many of us, when we stand before the Lord, are going to have the scars of the cross. I wonder how many of us are going to stand there and go, I didn't have the garden life. And I chose not to pursue the garden life because I can't possibly pursue being a soldier of the one who has enlisted me if I'm so caught up in building my own little mecca. Are y'all with me? 
So you seem upset. I'm not upset. I, well, I am, let me say this. I am upset. Not at you. I'm upset at what the devil has got going on that so many people are buying into. But here's the thing. America has chased after that so long, and we've avoided the battle, and we've ignored the battle. And I know a lot of churches throw money at the mission fields, and that's good. But here's the thing. The battle has now come to our nation. It's no longer in dark Africa. It's in dark America. Probably the most wicked nation in the world. You go, wait a second, you got communists and you got, you know, Islam, you got third world country. I think we're a fifth world country is what I believe spiritually. We are the most vile, God-forsaken, filthy nation in the world. And I love this country. I love this country. But I hate what God's people has allowed to take this country over. And so in that, here's the thing. If you're one of them, you just want to avoid it. So I don't want to get involved in all that stuff. You know, I just want to, I want to have my little life and my, my garden and stuff. Well, here's the thing. That, that, that battle has come to our nation. It's come to our community. And it's coming to your home. It's probably already in your home. And you have to decide. Here's the thing. Hell has invaded. And you have to decide what you're going to do about that. Because one or two soldiers can't fight a battle. <clears throat> and I'll talk to you dads this morning. It ain't up to the Sunday school teachers, the youth pastor, or anybody else here to fight your battle in your home. You understand that, man? That, 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 you're, you're that soldier. That's your company. I wasn't even in the military, and I, I understand that point. That's, that's where God calls us. This war is not fought with guns. And then we get stirred up, and I'm a gun owner. I ain't registering nothing. You understand where I'm at? You ain't taking my guns. So, so I just want you to understand when I say this, I'm not against guns. I'm 100% for guns, and I will always own guns until I take my last breath. That's where I stand on that. But the war we're in ain't one with guns. And if some of us would get as wired up about fighting a battle in the spirit as we are standing for guns, if we'd stand for the souls of men, if we'd stand for the gospel, if we'd stand for God's word, nobody would be taking our guns. And so in that, guns doesn't save souls. Say, well, then, what do we fight this warfare with? Look, look back in chapter 2. Paul is speaking to Timothy here. He's speaking to Timothy as a young pastor. You know, Randy inspired me this week. i got to tell you the story real quick. Randy inspired me this week to read 2 Timothy. And uh, because, you know, at, at, at work, you know, I'm kind of quiet. Him and Mark are always gigging me and picking on me. And one morning they said, you're so quiet. I said, well... Let's have a conversation. Let's talk about what we're studying in the Bible. And it was a short conversation. <laughs> you know, and, I'm not, and I'm, I was too. There's times I don't study and I don't have a whole lot to say. So I, I, so I thought, you know, I get tired of the quietness too, so I'm just going to, and I'm not telling you to do this or this was right. I just did it, so I'm going to tell you. So I, t- I turned on some music, music that they obviously love. How many of y'all have ever heard of Cooling the Gang? You ever heard that? <laughs> there you go. So, no, I, I know I've listened to some music before, and Mark and Randy are in there like, gosh, what is this? This is horrible. And, and so just to gig them a little bit, I listened to that, and then I think the Bee Gees, I don't even listen to that junk. I don't like it, but I knew they hated it, so I turned it on. <laughs> and after we listened to that for a while, you know, we, we, they were in a place working in a, in a, in a back room. With me. They couldn't escape it, so that's why I loved it. And when you own your own business, you do whatever you want. So... This is a whole new. This is a whole new route of discipleship. Maybe you can pass it on. So we listened to that, and, and you know, about lunchtime, I had to turn it off because it's driving me crazy. And I told him, I said, "Well, tomorrow we got a choice. We will either have a conversation on what we're studying in the Bible, or we're going to listen to the Bee Gees again." Next day, Randy comes to work. He's like, "Man, I studied the whole book of First and Second Timothy." So, 
So anyhow, so I, so I did, and I started reading this, and, and I was looking at it, and uh, had, I have no idea what that had to do with my message, I just had to tell you, but, but as I looked at this, it, it applies so much to my life where, I'm at, where I am at right now, and he starts off, and he says, you therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. He's talking to a young Timothy who is facing a battle, and he says, in the things that you have, notice what he says, what is the weapon of my warfare? The things that you have heard from me. He's talking about the word of God, the testimony of God's word. Among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Do you see what he's saying here? You, what, what do we battle this battle with? We don't battle it with guns. We don't battle it with legislature. We battle it with the word of God. When Satan comes in your household, you can pass all the laws you want and he ain't leaving. You can shoot off all the guns you want, and it ain't saving your kids or your grandkids or your marriage. But God's Word will. It is the power of God unto salvation is what the Bible says. And I want you to notice what he says here. The things you have heard from me, the things you have heard from me, commit to faithful men who will pass on to others for generations. Four generations that he says there. That's what the church is called to do. We ain't called to kumbaya and feel good and try to get everybody cleaned up. We're called to commit ourselves to God's word so that we commit that to other people who will be faithful to commit it to the next generation. It's called preaching the word of God. And I'm not the only preacher sitting in the crowd. If you're a born again believer, you are a preacher. You're not a pastor, but you are a preacher. You are to declare God's word as a whole to whoever you're around. Men, you are the pastors of your family. And you will give an account for what you preach to your family day in and day out. And you can make all the sorry excuses you want to of, well, I'm just not a reader. And I just, I don't get it. And the these and thous and all that stuff. How do you think that's going to affect? Because here's the thing. Your family might still be lost. Make all the excuses you want, but here's the thing. Your family is still lost and facing a judgment. And the generations to come, and if you think you're going to stand before the Lord and go, I just didn't get the KJV, he's going to be like, it's okay, buddy. No, that ain't flying for me or anybody else here. That's reality. And so here's what I want you to get. It's passed on and preached from generation to generation. God's word and say, how do you, how do you find victory in a battle? I believe it. I live it. I preach it. Everybody believe it, live it, preach it. I think in that order would be pretty good. I want you to look real quick. 316. Not John, but right here in 2 Timothy. Look what it says in chapter 3, verse 16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is profitable for doctrine. That just means teaching for reproof. For correction, for instruction in righteousness. So do you want your kids to be righteous? I sure do. Well, then how do I do it? I'm going to preach to them God's word. I'm going to believe it. I'm going to live it in front of them. And I'm going to preach it to them. I'm going to make sure they understand it. I ain't talking about Bible thumping. I'm talking talking about living God's word out in the power of God and speaking it to them. In order to do that, I myself have to apply myself to understand it, to commit myself to, to grow in it. And to, and, to, and to speak it. Well, you, you are quiet. You may not be amening that. And if you ain't, you ought to be doing it. Look in chapter 4, verse 1 through 3. Paul, speaking to Timothy, said, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice what it says. Who will judge the living and the dead and his appearing in his kingdom? How do I prepare for that? How do I prepare people for that? Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. What am I supposed to do with God's word? Convince, rebuke. Exhort with all long suffering and teaching, 
For the time will come when they will not endure sound teaching or sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to faith fables. But you be watchful in all things. Endure affliction, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. Goes to God's word every time. Paul says, this is the battle. You're on a battlefield. And this is what you better do if you're going to see a victory. This is how you overcome. Look at verse, verse back in verse 3 in chapter 2. Say, man, look in verse 3. Uh, there's a lot of people, you know, that, that when, when you look at, and I agree, Jeremy didn't know I was preaching this morning. I was like, wow, Jeremy's praying for people to surrender to preach and and be in ministry and all that stuff. It's funny how the further along that we go in our culture, the less people we have committing their lives, surrendering their lives to ministry. Way less preachers than what we had a long time ago. And I, and I know what, what men are saying. God didn't call me to preach. God didn't call. You know, my prayer is God calls every man sitting here to preach and that you'll stand up and do what you're called to do. I pray God calls you to the mission field. I pray God calls you to, to churches. There's churches all over. Shouldn't be as many churches as well we got, but there's churches all over that, are, that have no pastor, no man. And that's what it takes to be a preacher, a man. Ain't no little sissy boy. You understand that? But it takes a man, just like Jesus was a man, to stand against the wars of hell that's going to come against you. There ain't a whole lot of profit in it, and there shouldn't be, as far as monetarily wise. And there's a whole lot of trouble in it. I'll go on and tell you that. And here's the thing. Jesus told us that. Paul told Timothy that. This ain't no bed of roses. It's going to be very difficult. Actually, Jesus said, narrow is the gate and difficult is the way that leads to life. There's nothing about true Christianity where you get the smile from Houston and everything gets better and you make a million bucks a year. That's a lie straight from the pit is what that is. Christianity, following Jesus, is very difficult. War is nothing that is enjoyable. So if everything in life is a bed of roses, you're probably not involved as much as you should be. And there's going to be difficulty and there's going to be hardship. And notice what he says in verse 3. You, therefore, must endure hardship. You know, I don't know about the modern army, the way the liberals have changed everything. If you look back 20 years ago, you know, what would it be like for you to sign up and go to the military? You know you're going to get shipped out. You're not going to go to war. So you go to boot camp with a sergeant, and all of a sudden you get a thorn in your finger. Like, oh, you know, I wasn't expecting that. I need to go get this taken care of. I know back then he would rip you apart. But so many believers, all of a sudden when they take a step to go, I'm going to... I'm going to serve the Lord. And husbands go, I'm going to lead my family. And I'm going to, I'm going to commit myself to the Word of God. And I'm going to speak the gospel. And I'm going, to, I'm going to carry it to where I work. And I'm going to stand up for righteousness. And all of a sudden, you get a little splinter in your heart. And the next thing you know, you're coming to church weeping and crying. And wondering what has happened. Why God's forsaking you. And, and, and you're off about your business. I mean, I'm going to tell you, this, this is just for me. I think there's some, there's some Christians out there that... You need to get a little backbone. You need, to get a little, you, need, you need to get a little bit tougher skin. Quit using, you know, the lotion. You understand what I'm saying? Be a man. It might offend some people, but, but if you're a man, of a modern man, you ain't no man at all. Be a man like the Bible says, be a man. Be a, be a man of character. Be a woman of character who will stand up and who will go, you know what, I'm willing to endure the hardship. I expect the hardship and I welcome the hardship because if it's not hard, I'm not walking with the Lord. Look in chapter 3, verse 12. Boy, you're loving this. All right. I'm almost done. Chapter 3, verse 12. You let me harp for a little bit and I'll get on. 
Uh, notice what it says. And it said, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecutions. But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse. Notice what they're doing, deceiving and being deceived. How many of you would agree that evil men are growing worse and worse in our country and deceiving and being deceived? How many of you would agree with that? I'd agree with that 100%. If you don't agree with that, you're wrong. No, I'm just kidding. I'd agree with that. Here's my question. Where are the righteous men who are standing up for truth? Do you think that's increasing? Here's the truth. I think it is. I think God's people are finally getting sick of playing church. I think God's people are finally getting a belly full of all the, all the darkness going on. And I thank God. I think, here's the thing. Everybody thinks that, that Washington, D.C. is running something. They ain't running nothing. Jesus is rising up an army of people out of the dead to go, finally, finally, we're going to rise up and we will stand for righteousness. We will lead our families according to the scripture. We will love our wives like Christ loved the church. And gave himself for it. We will, we will suffer the hardship and we will endure. And you know what? We, we will overcome and we'll stand before the Lord. And we will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And so in that, look in, in chapter 4, verse 16 through 17. Paul speaking here and he said, At my first defense, no one stood with me. You know, Paul was in the guts of the ministry in the, in the, in the forefronts of the battle, he was on the front lines. There wasn't a whole lot of people in his crowd. He wasn't a, a pastor of a mega church going, yay, we love the music. Paul said, I was, I was by myself. Man, we're talking about the apostle Paul. We're talking about somebody who wrote the word. So obviously he understood it really well. And he said, at first defense, no one stood with me. All forsook me. Notice what he says. May it not be charged against them, but the Lord stood with me. And he strengthened me. So why? So that the message might be preached fully through me and that all Gentiles might hear it. So, number one, you got to preach the word. Number two, you got to endure the hardship. Last thing, don't get entangled. Chapter 2, verse 4, notice what it says. It says, No one engaged in warfare entangles himself in the affairs of this life. Why? That he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. Notice this. You didn't sign up. He signed you up. And he signed you up to be a soldier. You say, why is it that I don't want to get entangled? What is the the affairs of this life? It means that, that I'm ruled by worldly desires. My greatest desires are the American dream. I'm chasing after what everybody else in the world is chasing after. Money and possessions and recognition and position, that's what I want in life. And I go to church. That's getting entangled in worldly affairs, drama. You know, there's another thing the church gets caught up in that doesn't produce anything. And it talks about, I won't go there for time, so it talks about Timothy, theological debating. I'll give you a quick story, and I'm done. Almost. You know, in the book of John, Jesus is getting tore apart by the Jews. He claims to be God, chapter 8. Chapter 9, as he, went, as he left a, a hostile crowd, he said, And as he passed by, he saw a blind man who was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him a question and said, You know, Lord, who sinned, his mom and dad or him that he was born blind? They wanted to have a theological discussion. They wanted to hash out all the questions and figure out why God did this and why God did that or what this person did to cause it. 
And the church is all about theological discussions. We want to talk about the gospel. We want to talk about the Bible. Are we chosen? Are we not chosen? You know, do we have free will? Do we not have free will? And, and, and that's just a part of the discussion. You know, what about spiritual gifts? Do you believe, do you believe this? Do you believe that? 900 different denominations over theological discussions. Here's the thing Jesus said, I must work the works of him while it is light because the night comes when no man works. Jesus didn't even get into the debate with him. What does he do? He goes over, spits in the clay, makes some clay, puts it on the dude's eyes, said, go wash in the pool of Siloam and you'll see. But he could have entered into a theological debate, gave him the answer. They all went, ah, aren't we much smarter? Don't we understand the Bible greater? Aren't we so much more intelligent and God is so impressed and the blind man is still blind? So many of us entangle in theological discussion and debate with other people who are believers and the world is still blind. You walk away and they're still lost. What good does it do for you to come here and me to come here week after week after week after week and for you to wonder when I'm going to shut up so you can go to the restaurant and I'm sitting here trying to hammer this into you so that you can get more understanding, more knowledge and the world stays lost. We get so entangled in things. And, and here's the thing. The, the, the reason we get entangled is because we ain't concerned about pleasing the one that enlists us. We're concerned about the, pleasing the one who is enlisted. I go to a certain church because it pleases me. I get involved in certain things because it pleases me. I don't get involved in certain ministries because I'm not pleased with that. Here my question is, are you concerned about pleasing the one who has enlisted you? Or are you more concerned about just pleasing yourself in life? You know, a, soldier, a soldier's desire is to please the one that listed him. And you got to stay on course. Here's my last one. Look in chapter 4, verse 6 through 8. You know, when times get hard, you know what you do? You fight harder. There's a, there's a lot of Christians, I think, that, that a long time ago they tapped out. You don't tap out. You fight harder. And you endure. And you continue. And when the battle rages, you know what we do? We rage too. This pretty much goes along. If you was here last Sunday, if you remembered it past Monday, this is what Jake laid a foundation. His message says there's sometimes where you got to get angry and stand up and fight. Right kind of anger, right kind of fight. And I agree 100%. I'm like, he's right. What does it say in chapter 4, verse 6 through 8? Paul's speaking here and he said, For I am ready to be poured out as a drink offering. He said, basically saying, I'm fixing to give my life for this. And the time of my departure, notice he didn't say death. He said, my departure. I'm leaving this body and I'm going to the garden. My time of departure is at hand. Will you be able to say this when your departure is at hand? I have fought a good fight. I have finished the course or the race. And I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not to me only, this is to us, but also to all those who loved his appearing. You know, here's the thing. The garden life is coming if you're a child of God. But right now we're in the battlefield. And there's a whole lot of people. You know, how crazy would it be if you signed up in the military and they shipped you out to Iran or Iraq or Afghanistan? And I come over to visit you expecting to see barracks, expecting to see soldiers, expecting to see machinery of war, expecting you to be suited up. And I get over there and you laid out in Bahama shorts in an area that you done cultivated this green plush with a palm tree and a drink in your hand. You say, that would be ridiculous. That's what we've got going on in the church. That's what we've got going on in the church. Now listen to me. Maybe you're here and you go, I, I am a soldier. And my heart's desire, I believe our church is full of soldiers. 
Your heart's desire is to please the one who's enlisted you. You ain't trying to please other people here. You're not trying to please the pastor, and I ain't trying to please you. My heart's desire, along with you, is I want to please the one who saved me. I want to please the one who gave me life. I want to please the one who's enlisted me, and I want to recognize I am a soldier, and he has counted me worthy to be called that. And so I want to please him. I encourage you, endure and continue. There are some of you here that's got your own little garden world. You got your little umbrella in your drink. Kick back and, and, and all you think about is pleasing yourself. And you are so uninvolved in anything to do with I ain't trying to get you to sign up to teach. I'm trying to get you to follow Jesus, the one you claim who is Lord and Savior. So that you get involved. Because here's the thing. Hell ain't just invading the United States of America. It's invading your home, your marriage. Satan is after your kids. While you're drinking your Bahama drink and you kick back getting the tan, the devil's ripping your world apart. And one day you're going to wake up to the devastation and the destruction. And then there are those here, I believe, probably a few in the crowd that go, never trusted in Jesus. You're the ones that we're battling for. You're the ones I stand up here and make everybody mad because I go so long for. You know why? Because I believe it. I believe more than anything. One day you will stand before the Lord. I will stand before the Lord. And here's the thing. I'm not going to heaven because I'm good or because I preached or because I was a soldier. I'm a soldier because I'm saved. Because of what Christ has done to me. The only, the only thing that's going to divide the crowd is whether you trusted Jesus and you believed God's word or you didn't. You will be in one group or you will be in the other. You will be in those who are saved or you will be in a group that's deceived. And here, I'm going to be honest with you. If you're in a group that was deceived, you chose to believe. I I don't believe that. I was hurt in a church one time. I don't agree with religion. You made whatever excuse you wanted to make. Me and God got our own thing. I'm going to go my way. That's going to put you in a group of people who were deceived. And you will face an eternity apart from the God who wanted to save you. And you'll burn in hell for all eternity. I know that's not popular. I know you don't hear that preached a lot anymore. Read it for yourself. Pick it up and read it for yourself and see what it says. Revelation is a good place to start. Chapter 20. Behold, I saw a great white throne in heaven. Small, the rich, the dead stood before him. The books were open. And they were judged according to the books. And all those whose name was not written in the book of life were cast into the lake of fire forever and ever and ever. Quote me on it. That's your future. I ain't here to try to get you to quit this and quit that. What I am here to do is try to get you to see how much Jesus loves you. And he's, he died. he's not just dying. He died to give you life. He died to forgive you. He wants to forgive you, to save you if you'll turn to Him. Not no little sinner's prayer. I'm talking about humble yourself before God and cry out to Jesus for the mercy that He offers you. And He will grant you forgiveness and eternal life. And then suit up, soldier, because it's going to be difficult. Stand with your head bowed and your eyes closed. Lord, I love you and I thank you so much that you love us. God, I thank you for sending your son to save us. Lord, we don't deserve any of that. We haven't done anything to provoke your goodness and your love towards us. God, it's by your grace that you chose to do that prior to ever any of us breathing a breath of life. I thank you, Lord, that truly you did come to give us life and give it to us abundantly, Lord. And so many people standing here.